Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. And if you could open your Bibles as you're seated to Romans chapter 15. Today we talk about sharing the gospel of grace. Christian recording artist, songwriter Keith Green used to say this, This generation of Christians is responsible for reaching this generation's of souls on earth. Let that one sink in. God is holding us accountable, he's saying, to reach our generation that we're living in. Paul has something to say about that in his passion for sharing the gospel of grace that's been shown to him through Christ. If you would follow along as I read in verse 14 in Romans 15. My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. My purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, verse 17, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. That's a great verse right there. If you're going to brag or boast on anything, brag on Jesus. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news. That's the gospel, the gospel of grace. I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I uh, no longer have any work to do in these provinces and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. Let's just stop right there and break verse 24 uh, right there, but we'll pick the rest up next week. Paul is getting very personal here. He, he's sharing about his, uh, his travels, of his ministry, of his, of his mission. And then he talks about his desire to, having had this desire to come to the church at Rome, who he's writing to, wanting to see them. But in this, I, I want us to just kind of wrap our, uh, our minds around the reality of the gospel that Paul's been given this, this incredible message of God's grace. That's his reason for writing. He says there, I'm writing in verse four, uh, thir- uh, 14 there, I'm writing to instruct you. In, in verse 15, I want to remind you of this gospel of grace. So we're going to look at several things about, about Paul and make application to us, all right? Just five points today. Can you believe it? Just five. Number one. The motive for sharing the gospel is clear here. The motive for sharing the gospel. Paul says for him, it is an offering to God. Look at verse 16. 
After he tells them why he's writing, he says he is there to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. Then he says the purpose of the offering of the Gentiles so that they may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in a sense that his sharing of the gospel is an offering to God. And then that those people that he's led to Christ, specifically here, he's talking about the Gentiles. He says that those Gentiles too could be an offering to God. What a picture there. Remember Romans 12, verse one? Let's just look at that. Therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Remember, we talked about the fact that as a follower of Christ, offering ourselves to him daily is an act of worship. Paul, I believe, is carrying that same theme here where he says, I want my, my sharing the gospel, my telling other people about Jesus Christ to be an offering of worship to him, to God. He uses these phrases in this passage here. He calls himself a minister in verse 16. He calls himself a priest. He says he's offering. In the Old Testament, the priest's role was to represent God to man and man to God, to kind of be a mediator. And what the priest did was the priest would take those offerings that the people brought in, and he would identify with the people. He might place his hand on the sacrifice and, and be a, a, a reminder that he was representing the people to God. And Paul says, that's, that's what I've been. I've been that person who has shared the gospel as people have come to Christ. I've taken that to God and said, God, here's my offering to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul mentions that we've been given the, the ministry of reconciliation. He calls us ambassadors for Christ. Paul saw that. His motivation for sharing the gospel was to see lives change. And we'll talk about that in detail. But as an offering to God. Paul Borthwick, a, a global missions expert, has, tells a story about a young man named Peter. And he met Peter. He knew about Peter. They he attended church with him. And uh, he went to a McDonald's there in his town. And Peter was there taking his order at the counter. And, and he said he knew Peter had just graduated from Yale with a master's degree. And most people, that's not their goal, to work at a McDonald's after graduating from Yale with a master's degree. So he says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, it's been about four months. I've been trying to find a job, and nothing came up. So I thought, what better thing to do than just to immerse myself in, in life here and, and get a job? And he said, I have a, a Buddhist coworker. I have a Muslim coworker. I have a Hindu coworker. And he said, what better place to be than in some place where I can share the gospel with these people? And he said, and, and, in a sense, what he says is, what better thing to do than to share Christ with them when I say, would you like fries with that? Here's a, here's a young man who sees that, that this motivation that he's been given is not just to go out and have a career, but to be put in a place where he can share the gospel with others. And Paul says, that's my motive. That's why I'm doing this. I want to I say, God, this is my act of worship to you. I want to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant, because I've shared the gospel and we say share the gospel, what we mean is tell other people about the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ and tell them how they can have that too. Someone broke it down real simply. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find the bread. I found the bread. I've met the bread of life, Jesus himself, the God in the flesh who gave his life for me. And, and I just want to share that with you. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have an outline. You don't have to memorize a bunch of scripture. Just share what God has done in your life and that Jesus Christ has made the difference so that you can say, God, this is my offering to you. I don't know how many people that may be. God may never allow you to lead a person to commitment in Christ, 
He may just have you to be one link in in that chain of many links. But wouldn't it be a, a blessing to be able to stand before God and say, God, here's my offering to you. We had the funeral service for Kelly's grandmother uh, Friday. And we gathered in the, uh, the funeral home there, and she was 106 and a half. Yeah. And this funeral home, we thought it might just be family. It was packed with people from that little hometown in Oklahoma. And most of them were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And as I listened to their testimonies of people and got to talk to some of those guys at the graveside, here's, here's people in their 70s saying, when I was in the young people's group, Mrs. Byram and T.P., her husband, led me to Christ. When I, was, when I was a young man, they came alongside and shared Christ with me. And we heard testimonies at the funeral about how, how she had led so many to Christ. And I'm just thinking, what a neat way to say, God, here's my, here's my offering to you. All these people I've led to Christ. That's Paul's motive for sharing, to actually present them to the Father. Secondly, sharing the gospel should be an offering. But secondly, let's look at the object of our sharing. This is so important. Don't miss this one. To be completely transformed. The object, the goal is that we would have completely transformed lives. Completely transformed lives. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. I love the way NIV translates that. But make the the Gentiles obedient by what I have said and done, Paul says. By the power of miraculous signs and wonders, by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I fully proclaim the good news about the Messiah. And Paul talks about from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Paul says, "This this is what I've done. I have, I have desired to see lives changed, transformed lives. To make, look at verse 18 there, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. His desire in sharing the gospel was not just so that the Gentiles could go to heaven. That was his desire. But it was also that they would come to be followers of Christ, that they would live obedient lives, transformed lives. The goal of, of, of what Paul is doing in sharing the gospel is not just a conversion experience. His goal was change lives. Now you say, well, I thought a conversion experience was change lives. But sometimes we separate those. We, 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 we filter down the gospel to our evangelism to someone walking an aisle or someone saying a prayer. It's more than that. It's if they walk an aisle and say a prayer or if they make a commitment that it's a commitment that is life-changing and leads to transformation. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I think Andy shared it a few weeks ago when he preached, uh, uh, to, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're to do. Not just to win them, but to make disciples. And then Jesus went on to say in Matthew 28, and to teach them to observe what I've told you, or teach them to obey. That's what Paul says right here. My goal is to win the Gentiles to Christ and teach them to obey the word, to live it out, to make disciples. Listen, a disciple is someone who knows the way and who goes the way and who shows the way. A someone who is a follower of Christ. We're working right now with our leadership team on the disciples' path to be more intentional about taking a person from that first experience of when they first either experience Christ in, in worship here or make a commitment to Christ as a new believer to walk them through a path to where everyone who comes to this congregation will have an opportunity to walk through a path that leads them through a life of discipleship transformation 
That's what Paul's goal was. I want them to obey. I want them to see the power of God operating and manifest in their life. I love the story about the, the hillbilly family from way out in the sticks. Whatever country you want to be from, whatever state you want to be from, okay? And they go to the big city and, and the father and son are standing there and they're in this grand hotel and they're just enamored by everything, the chandeliers and all that stuff. And they're, they're standing in front of the elevator and, and these elevator doors open and this, this older lady kind of hobbles in the elevator door and the doors close and they just kind of stand and watch that. And a couple of minutes later, the doors open and this beautiful young lady walks out. And the dad says, son, go get your mother. Would it be great? Stay with me, okay? <laughs> I wasn't going there. Wouldn't it be great if it would be as simple as, let's open the door, you step in, and your life is going to be so transformed, you just walk out a new person. Well, in essence, isn't that what the gospel does? Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, old things have passed away, new things have begun. But other than a changed a change life, a changed perspective, salvation, forgiveness of sin, it is to be a lifestyle that is that a transformational lifestyle that comes out of that. That's what the life of discipleship is. Not just trusting Christ and going to church and maybe having a Bible study, but leading a life of transformation. I think I shared this recently, but I want to read it again. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Has Christianity Failed You?, talks about life transformation. I love this. He says, during the course of nearly 40 years, I've traveled to virtually every continent, and I've seen or heard some of those amazing testimonies of God's intervention in the most extreme, extreme circumstances. He says, I've seen hardened criminals touched by the message of Jesus Christ. Their hearts turned toward good in a way that no amount of rehabilitation could have accomplished. I've seen the ardent followers of a radical belief system turn from being violent, brutal terrorists to becoming mild, tender-hearted followers of Jesus Christ. I've seen nations where the gospel, banned and silenced by governments, has nevertheless conquered the ethos and mindset of an entire culture. Here's what Zacharias says. The gospel transforms lives. Doesn't just make Baptists, doesn't just make Methodists, doesn't just make church members. The gospel transforms. We are partners with God as we come and see people enter into the fellowship of the church. We're partners with God to see them transform as they walk in discipleship. Sharing the gospel should focus on transformation. Number three, the priority that Paul has or the, the place of sharing the gospel, the priority of the gospel, it was central to his life. Central to his life. Look again uh, back at verse 18. He says, For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient. Can I say it another way? Paul says the most important thing in my life is telling other people about the life change that Christ has manifested in me. Now listen, he was probably the greatest theologian who's ever lived. He doesn't say his greatest joy is being eloquent. His greatest joy is writing a theological treatise on something. He says his greatest joy is sharing Christ with others and seeing people come to know Christ. That was the, the, the central priority of his life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, When I came to you, I, I, I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling, and I came to you to preach to the church at Corinth, not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. 
Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't want to just tell you theology. I want to introduce you to the saving grace of Christ. We've been singing about it all morning. He wanted to see people enter into that life-changing relationship with Christ. I read the results of some research recently. Lifeway Research Group, we use a lot of their stuff here. Did research and found that 80% of people who attend our churches say that they're born-again Christians. That's, that's a pretty good statistic. But listen to this. 61% of those people said that they haven't shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months. So I'm thinking you could probably expand that statistic and say in the last year, the majority of people in our churches haven't shared the gospel with anyone. Now, I'm not saying we have to be the Apostle Paul where it is so central in our life, we, 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 that, that's everything to us, but we should do a better job at, at it than what we're doing, right? That it could be more central in my life, that it could be more of a priority, Witnessing is sharing Christ is not just an add-on to the Christian life. It's not just something the staff does or the deacons do or the connection class teachers or grace group leaders or those folks. It's not just something leadership does. It's something that we do. Paul says it is central to my life. There's a story about Coach Bill McCartney who uh, started the Promise Keepers movement. He was, he was coaching in, in Colorado there. and uh, He invited a nationally known speaker to come in and preach to or to. to preach a motivational message to his guys in the locker room. And, and he says for 30 minutes, that dynamic preacher waxed eloquent. Pulled out all the stops, challenging those young men to unite together beyond themselves, do whatever it took to have victory on the football field. And then when he was done, this nationally recognized Christian leader sat down next to the coach and said, well, what do you think about that talk I gave the guys? And this is what McCartney said. He said, you know... He said, all you seem to care about is whether or not those guys win a football game. And all I care about is whether or not they know Jesus Christ. We should trade places. McCartney's passion was not to win football games, though he won football games and championships. His passion was that those young men would come to know Christ as Savior. Here's what he said. God, these young men that you put in my life, I'm paraphrasing, okay, These young men you put in my life, it was his heart and his passion. More than teaching them to play football, it would be to to lead them to faith in Christ. What would happen if you said, God, the people you've placed in my life, the the co-workers, the the classmates, the the people who are around me every day, could it not be my passion to see that they come to know Christ, to have transformed lives? It should be central. It wasn't Paul's life. Fourth thing about his sharing of the gospel of grace, let's look at the method, number four. The method of sharing the gospel, speech and action. The method Paul used was speech and action. Look again at verse 18 when he says, I would dare not say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed or by what I say and what I do. That was his method. Tim Keller said it this way, we are to dare people to look at us and see what a human life rearranged by the gospel looks like. Not just telling them, but living it out. Now listen, it is both word and deed. Some of you said, well, I'm just going to live it. You've got to tell them too. Some of you people said, well, I'm just going to tell them. You've got to live it too. It's not either or, folks. It's both and. It's both and. 
Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Let them see Christ living in you. Let them see Him transforming your life. The gospel is to be incarnational. John R. Stott said it this way, The combination of words and works, the verbal and the visible, is recognition that human beings often learn more through their eyes than through their ears. Words explain works, but works dramatize words. Isn't that good? The gospel is to be, is to be incarnational, is to be embodied by us in our attitudes and our actions, how we live. Think about Jesus when he was trying to teach the, the way you come into the kingdom of God. What did he do? He gathered some kids around him. And he said, let the children come to me. He said, the kingdom of God is like this. You come to God as a little child. He, he demonstrated by his life the reality of the truth that he was trying to share. That's what we do. If you're sharing with someone that Jesus Christ is the answer to everything, that he is your hope, if he is your, the central most important person in your life, then your life ought to back that up. It ought to. Oswald Chambers, in some of his writings, has talked about this. He says, the purpose of Pentecost, or the Holy Spirit coming on the church, was not to teach the disciples something, but to make them the incarnation of what they preached, so that they could literally become God's message in the flesh. Isn't that great? That that we could be the gospel incarnate in the flesh. Speech and actions. It's interesting as you look in the the Gospels and you look in the book of Acts and you see when those miracles, Paul mentions the the signs, miraculous signs and wonders in verse 19. Those signs and wonders and miracles didn't save people. In fact, you have instances. I was thinking about Acts chapter 14, I think it is, where where Paul shared and and, uh, he heals a man. And after that, the people that he shared the Gospel with wanted to worship him as a god. And then he tried to share the gospel some more, and then they wanted to worship him some more, and a riot broke out, and they stoned him. See, the miracle of healing the man didn't change lives. The miracle of healing the man was to point people to Christ, who would be the one who would change lives. William Barclay said this, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of a real Christian and real Christian love than by all theological arguments in the world. But listen to this. This is what I wanted to highlight. More people have been driven from church by the hardness and ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in the world. Be sure that you're living it, that people can see it. Keith Green, I mentioned him at the opening of the message. He said if he, he probably would have come to know Jesus Christ sooner if it hadn't been for all the double lives that Christians led around him. Let your life be something that, that is Christ incarnate, speech, actions, so people can see it and know it. An Anglican priest named Michael Green shares a story. I love this. It's about a, a teacher of missions. She, she walked in a classroom of students who were getting ready to learn about missions, and, and uh, she walked around in the classroom, and then she walked out. And then she walked back in and walked out, walked back in, and so finally said, what did y'all notice when I left the room a minute ago? And they're all like, I didn't notice anything. And one lady said, I noticed the smell of your perfume. Man, it smelled good. And she said, 
That's what I wanted you to see. Here's the, here's the missions. Here's the missiology lesson for you. You're about to go to another culture. I think that group was to China. And, and she said, before you can learn a word of Chinese, they're looking at you. They're watching you. They're sensing things. You're going to have an aroma to them. Let it be Christ-like, even before you can have the language. Sharing the gospel through word and deed, speech and action. And then number five, let's look at Paul's strategy. It's interesting. Paul's strategy for sharing the gospel, pioneering and populated. I'll explain that in a minute. Popular, pop, uh, pioneering and populated. Paul says in verse 19, I fully proclaim the good news about Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. He he's, talks about this several thousand mile or, or almost 2,000 mile distance where he shared the gospel. Verse 20, 20, my aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. Here's Paul's motive, I mean, Paul's strategy. He wanted to be a pioneer. He wanted to go where no one else had gone before. That'd make a good title for a TV show, right? To go where no man. That was Paul's strategy. I want to go where I will be a pioneer and I will take the gospel where no one's heard. I've talked to quite a few missionaries who've said the gospel has permeated the culture in America. Send me to some place where they've never heard. By the way, that's the strategy of our denomination's International Mission Board to go to unreached people's groups around the world. There are pockets of people all over the world who've never heard, and our strategy is to go to them. He was a pioneer, but then populated. Look at verse, uh, verse 20. My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been. Uh, verse 21, but as is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That's why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. So Paul, in essence, may be saying that one reason I didn't come to Rome is because the gospel was already there. And I wanted to go where it, it hadn't been before. But if you'll notice, in Paul's strategy, he went to the major metropolitan areas and shared the gospel. He, he established a beachhead in those, those strong cities where the people were. He went where the population was. I remember when I was a pretty new believer sitting in a meeting in our church in Houston, and the deacons were there, and and they had just, it was a Wednesday night, I think, and they had just driven from work. And if you've ever driven in Houston, 5 o'clock traffic is something else. Still is to this day. And all the guys were complaining about the traffic. And I'll never forget what Bernie said. He said, he said, hey, guys, you know, you're griping about all this traffic. He said, what better place to be than in a city that's surrounded by people, that, that, that we're immersed by people who need the Lord? Boy, I, it got real quiet in that room. And for me... It was a, a challenge to not just look at the crowdedness, but to look at the people. That's what Paul did. He went where the people were. The gospel, when we share it, should focus on taking advantage of where the people are and those who really need Christ. Years ago, in America, the preaching took place in the West by what they called circuit-riding preachers. They'd get on a horse and take their Bible Sometimes a 50-mile journey was how far they would have to go. And they, they used to say that, that the longer the journey, the more reward, the more fruit. One writer said, I, I, I rode 50 miles to share the gospel. And it seems like there was an eagerness, there was a hunger there because they, they longed for it. He said that was a pretty sure 
guaranteed that the meeting was going to be profitable and not financially, but, but spiritually. They were so relentless in their ministry and going out through stormy days that people used to say, there's nothing out today but the crows and Methodist preachers. No matter how bad the weather got, they were relentless. And I think, that is Paul. I don't care how far it is, I'm going because they need to hear. Our motive is to share the gospel to make it an offering to God. The object of that is to be completely transformed lives. The priority should be central in my life and the method by word and deed. And ultimately, my strategy, I need to be where the people are. Let's pray together.